Hi there and welcome to The Brave, the podcast about building a better and more resilient future. I'm your host Beth and Vincent and episode to episode we speak to the experts and innovators about what it takes to challenge the status quo, whether that's coming up with new companies, products, ideas or making changes within systems and trying to essentially create a world that is better for more people. Really, this podcast is my excuse to speak to very interesting people about very interesting ideas and hopefully educate myself and you along the way. Now, this week we are talking about class, the construct of class here in the UK, to clarify, is kind of based on class here in the UK and how that affects people working in the technology industry specifically. Now, the reason we're talking about the technology industry is myself and our lovely guest, Jem, that's the industry we both work in, we both know. I imagine some of the things we talk about are present in other industries, in in other kind of systems and places. It'd be really interesting to know um, from your own experience if any of this kind of chimes with you, so please do reach out, but I will let Jem take it away. Um, So hey, I'm Jem Henderson. I am the Entrepreneur Engagement Manager for Tech Nation uh, covering Yorkshire. Um, I'm also, I mean, are we we our jobs? I don't like to think that. And there's a whole conversation to be had around that. Uh, I'm a poet as well. Um, I consider myself to be working class. Uh, I grew up in a council house. Um, I was actually homeless for the first time when I was one years old. I lived in a homeless hostel. And again, when I was 16 years old, um, I... Uh, my, my parents didn't didn't have qualifications. I managed to get um, three degrees, actually, because, you know, if you love it, you love it, if you love that education. Um, uh, but the first member of my family to do so. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here to talk about kind of all these issues around class and tech and all this sort of thing. Yeah, because we, I think... I've seen your work for a long time and I've seen your kind of tweets and I've, you did a talk, I think, was it Leeds, Leeds Digital Festival last year? Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was a lot. I mean, I honestly, I felt like a wring out dish rag after I told her, like, here's my life story and it's really tragic. Please. And honestly, I was knackered afterwards. <laughs> yeah, well, it's that concept of emotional labour, isn't it, to kind of make people aware of issues or situations or realities they don't necessarily well experience all and understand and I think class is one of those um I'm definitely middle class uh I cannot pretend to be anything otherwise so I'm very aware of my own privilege in respects to this but I think class is a dimension of diversity and inclusion that is very rarely mentioned and there's lots of action groups around getting more gender diversity into tech or um racial diversity into tech but class really does get ignored and I do you think that's the case first of all would you agree with that I I absolutely think that I think um there's nothing wrong with you know we absolutely need to talk about gender we absolutely need to talk about race um we need to talk about gender identity we need to talk about all sorts of things but in Britain and it is a it is a British thing we the class is this huge overarching thing which impacts so much of our society and and it's all it, class is intersectional because ultimately what we will find is so take for example the fact that um, uh, a lot of the jobs that have been lost in America um, there was a there was a thing that came out the other day which said there were one hundred and forty thousand jobs lost in America these are all kind of jobs at the lower end of the market it was all women one hundred and forty thousand so you know that, that's a class issue when we talk about um, 
uh, representation from from different um, ethnic and minority groups. Well, actually, what we often see is the, those ethnic minority groups are living in in working class situations. You know, it, it is just it's everything. So we do have a massive problem if we're not talking about class. It for, for me, talking about class fixes some of the issues we have around talking about intersectionality because because it is by its very nature. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really interesting what you're saying, you know, certain um, sections of the labour market, for example, can be completely wiped out and it is a very kind of identifiable group. And it really got me thinking because obviously, you know, in the UK, the economic disruption of COVID has been really massive. And yes, I've had one or two friends who've lost their jobs and have been furloughed. But as a whole, you know, all of my kind of like social group are talking about like, oh, we're so bored working from home and like, isn't it hard and all of that. And yeah, actually, I was speaking to my cousin who um, works kind of in a building industry essentially and they were like yeah all of my mates are unemployed struggling can't feed their families and I was then very aware of like um, and on the other side and on the other side of the coin the key workers the key workers that we have in you know the people that you know we're trapped at home and we might complain about like oh my god I've completed Netflix like ultimately that's that's not that bad because when we look at the medical system, when we look at like the nurses, you know, as much as we like to be all not sexist, nurses are quite often women. And then we look at supermarkets and we look at those parts of the job market where people work part time. Well, that, the reason that they work part time is probably because they have childcare issues. And let's once again face it, when it comes to childcare, it is women that take up the majority of that role. So, yeah, there's 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 all these different issues around how COVID has impacted everything. It's um, it's horrifying. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose in terms of the UK, we're talking about kind of class in the UK. I, you know, like you kind of grew up, Tony Blair's Britain, you know, we're going to go to a meritocracy, class is no more, but it doesn't seem that way. Do you think we still have an issue with class in this country? Absolutely. I don't know if you saw the article in The Guardian this week. Um, it was excellent. It was, I'm just going to have to look at the title. Um, it was written, um, it's part of an LSE study um, uh, and written in partnership with the Social Mobility Commission. Um, the, the article is titled, Why Do So Many Professional Middle Class Brits Insist They're Working in Class? Um and actually, there's some really interesting things that came out of the article. And if we talk about Tony Blair and we talk about, you know, this idea of meritocracy, then in this article, it describes a number of people who call themselves working class. One of whom is, is, a, is a lady called Ella, who is, a, is an actor. And she kind of talking about how she's she's got a middle class accent, but she is working class. But then she goes on to describe herself as, oh, I went to private school, but just one of the small ones, just one of the cheap ones. Um, I just had a conversation today, in fact, with somebody just before this call um and we were we were talking about class and she was she was saying well I consider myself to be working class um my mum was a, a midwife and my my dad was I can't remember some something else but like a proper job I'm like well surely that then doesn't mean for, for me, um, the Social Mobility Commission have done some really interesting work recently where they've talked about how you recognise class and structure when it comes to diversity. Um, so the biggest indicator of, of, social, of your social class is whether your parents had, had 
proper formal educa- education qualifications once when you turned 18. Um, That's interesting. We can identify as working. I mean, I identify as working class because I am. I will say, however, I'm from Harrogate and I can be very, very Harrogate if I want to. It means that <laughs> I can disguise myself. And that's actually one of the reasons I think I have managed to be successful in landing professional roles, because I can pre- I can pretend I have the veneer. I mean, not with my pink hair right now. I, I dyed it brown for my interview. <laughs> um, but I can have the veneer of, of being middle class. I can cover up my massive tattoos and, and that sort of thing. And um, and then actually rock up at work on the first day and go, hey, up, I'm actually welcoming. <laughs> Um, sorry, I'm veering wildly off topic. Um, I think when it comes to issues around class, well, the fact that I have to do that, I have to code switch, I have to pretend that I am part of a class structure, which I absolutely am not, and frankly have no way of getting to, um, because otherwise I am seen as, well, as stupid. If I can't put on a Harrogate accent, then people are going to go, well, well, how do you know those things? Like, because just because I grew up in a council house doesn't mean that I don't know stuff. Doesn't mean I'm not capable of reading books and learning things. But there is a massive issue. I mean, we see it when we talk about um, uh, when we talk about stuff like Brexit. You know, there is this middle class way of looking at people that voted for for Brexit, and they're looked at. Well, they're just stupid, you know. And like, no, they're working class people who have lost this layer of job safety they haven't had anything to replace it and then they're told that that repeatedly that it's all the fault of the eu well actually those those people aren't stupid they're just they don't have access to the same things as 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 other people and if you're told something repeatedly then you you start to believe it right so i think the, the issues that we have with class are, are just so structural in this country. It's horrifying. And, um, yeah, I don't know what we can do about it. Yeah, well, because thinking about, like, the tech industry, again, it's meant to be a meritocracy. It's meant to be, like, you know, if you are the best developer at X, you are going to land that job. No one cares about, like, who you are, in air quotes. They care about, like, what you can deliver and how skilled you are. Yet... When I look around tech companies, I see a lot of people who are like me, who went to university, you know, had parents with formal education, and it gets left off the diversity agenda as well. We don't talk about class enough. And I just want to kind of maybe dig into, if we can, why we think that's the case in technology, even though it kind of pretends to be this meritocracy, and what actually companies can do about it. You know, if they want to take action, which they should, what can they do? I think... So let's picture we are small children and and my mum is a hairdresser and my dad is a taxi driver. At what point do I come across jobs in tech? Like there might be things at school where people come in and they go, oh, well, I'm a software developer. But like, well, what does that mean? Does it mean front end? Does it mean back end? Does it mean which language are you, have you learned? There is so much to it. But I, you know, my mum is a hairdresser and my dad's a taxi driver and that all the people that they know do the same sorts of jobs. So it just isn't even on the agenda for me as, as a kid, whereas you are a kid and your mum might be a project manager and your dad might be a, 
I don't know, the, an entrepreneur with his own tech company, you then are surrounded by all these different things and you meet people who are just have interesting jobs like UX designer. And you're like, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't even think that was a job. And suddenly the opportunities that are laid out in front of you are myriad. There's millions of them. You could do anything. And so this problem is so structural that it kind of goes back to that. It goes back to the access to the knowledge about working in tech. Um, and so there's loads of things that tech companies can do. And one of the things that I would love to see is, is more and more tech founders and tech people and digital people going into schools. I mean, I took part in the, um, um, in the STEM ambassador program. So I got to go in. This is when I was a digital copywriter. Um, and yeah, I went into to one of the schools in Harrogate and I, you know, I talked about my life as a digital copywriter. One of my friends um, uh, turned out that his kid went to this school and was like, were you, at, were you at the grammar school today? This is not a proper grammar school, by the way, it's just called that. Um, I was like, uh, yeah, why? He said, oh, because apparently there was this crazy lady with pink hair that was effing and blinding, but her job's a writer and it sounds amazing. I really want to do that. Like, boom. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have been effing and blinding. They were teenagers, it's fine. Um but like I had introduced them to something that they just didn't necessarily know about. Yeah, I've done, you know, I've done a similar thing. I go into a couple of schools in York and it's really interesting, actually, when you go in and you start off doing your presentation like this is a career in tech. This is what I do. This is what my colleagues do. And you can see their eyes glaze over and they're like, this is so boring. But then when you stop to talk about, you know, like a company like Uber is a tech company. This is how they're changing the world or this is what it means to be like a UX designer. And you get to go and speak to people and find out kind of what they want from an interface and do loads of testing and design cool things. That's when they seem to get excited about it. But the kind of you can imagine if you're presented by, I don't know if they still have them like a careers counselor, like a little booklet on this as a career in tech. It comes across as quite dry. Oh, yes. I think we had a programme at school. It might have been called QDOS, but don't quote me on that because it's a bloody long time ago. And um, yeah, and you like put in, oh, I really like, I don't know, whatever it is that you like, and it spat out, you know, the jobs that you should do. I tell you, I didn't get any jobs in tech as a recommendation. And actually, there's another piece there, which... Um, you know, I, I've got an arts background. I've got a creative writing master's because I like writing poetry. But I work in tech because thinking about how we attract different people into tech and this diversity and inclusion agenda, one of the ways we can do it is 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 getting people from different sorts of backgrounds. You know, we've already talked about me giving that speech at um, the Women in Leeds Digital Festival where I was talking about, you know, coming into tech from a really crazy route of you know I'd been a hair done hairdressing and I'd done chefing and I, I was I'm even a qualified painter and decorator but actually that is indicative of the the background that I have those are the jobs that, that I saw as, as the jobs I could do and then suddenly I was very lucky I went to university as I said I did a, did a few degrees I was signed off sick with mental health issues and when I came out of it I got my first job as a junior copywriter for a data center and suddenly I was like oh writing about tech oh my god this is amazing like I mean it kind of wasn't I was writing about quite boring it's a data center it's not that interesting but the potential of it was fascinating and actually for me working in tech is partly going oh well I love Star Trek and if I want to make Star Trek happen then I need to work in tech yeah there's kind of 
sometimes I think it's overcomplicated, you know, the industry. And obviously there are loads of complicated, really cool things happening. But it's this idea that you have to be, you know, a scientist or a rocket engineer to come into it. And that's definitely not the truth. And I think that's that's, again, something I see in schools where kids go, well, I'm not good at maths. And it's like, oh, I'm awful at maths. <laughs> but do you we have a math problem where teachers think that you have to be good at maths and science and, you know, thinking back to my IT classes, I mean, I think we learned how to use Excel a thousand times. I don't remember how to do it. <laughs> we we just learned how to turn a computer on and off. I, I'm not even lying. That that was our classes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I spent most of my, my time. What did we do? There was a an encyclopedia in Carter, I think it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hiding Carter, where you could wander around and answer questions. That's what my IT classes were. <laughs> um, but that's massively problematic. And I don't know, this is a long time ago. I left school, I don't want to think about it, 19 years ago. Bloody hell. Um, I left school 19 years ago. And um, I'd like to think it's changed in that time. Um, but I'm not 100% certain that it's moved on as much as it should. I know that yeah. kids are learning like how to use Scratch and how to code, but actually teaching kids to code is a little bit important. But by the time they leave school, uh, code's going to write itself, right? Yeah, I keep on coming back to that. So we need to actually think about, well, what are the jobs that are needed to support that process? Yeah, definitely. And again, it's the issue of kind of, I think teachers and educators aren't necessarily aware because they're not in the industry. I don't think even the industry really knows where it's going in lots of places because everything's kind of so fast paced. But I guess maybe one of the things teaching children how to learn and continuously learn would be a thing, but that's very difficult. And if you're in a system that sets you up just for like one job, like one profession, you specialise in your A-levels, you know, 16 to four things, pick four out of all of the things. I don't know. There's a bit of a disconnect there from me. This is a massive problem with the schooling system. So the, the idea of the schooling system that we, we have built essentially was to churn out the factory workers of the 19th and 20th century. And, you know, yes, there are still factory workers. But automation means that these jobs are becoming less and less and less. And actually, what we need to be turning out of school are people that can work in AI, not people that can work in factories on the shop floor, putting things together, because robots do that now. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose if we kind of park the education argument for a second and look at tech as kind of an industry and the environment it creates, do you think it's welcoming to people from different class backgrounds because that's that's a question I've been trying to think about but again you know it's it's hard to have that first-hand insight I don't think it is that welcoming um I have got I've got another colleague who comes from a you know from a a poorer background um he got a, a scholarship to a private school and lost his accent got his private school accent um and now now you know kind of works in the upper echelons of of the tech industry but but only because he's he's disguised um and so no it's not it's only welcome I mean it's fine once you're in and then you can start talking about these things and I love to do it I love to talk about socioeconomic stuff now I've got my feet under the table but if I was you know thinking back to to being 19 I'm not sure I'm not sure I would have got in. I am I'm lucky. Like I am lucky. I met a lady when I was like oof, very heavily pregnant 
and ended up doing a whole bunch of copywriting for her about AI and about blockchain and all this other stuff. Um, it was a look. You know, I met her, I mean, maybe this is privileged, I met her in Betty's in Haruka, um, so we could, like, have a chat about what she wanted, and we talked about Star Trek and Japanese literature for two hours. Um, we didn't talk about the work, we just got on. So then she offered me this opportunity. But I definitely remember, um, I used to work at Digital Catapult, um, down in London and I'd go down there once a month uh, for my regular meetings and suddenly I'd been propelled from interviewing a lady about her hair loss treatment website which she had to suddenly working with people who worked at the BBC and who worked at the Guardian and I don't know if I did have imposter syndrome because talking to these people who had these amazing jobs and who worked in, in you know really interesting industries and worked in tech and just suddenly going just as smart as you in fact I might be a bit smarter than you and um, I'm just suddenly going hang on I just had this idea of all of these people just being amazing and brilliant and you know they're just normal people I actually would say that my time working as a chef was so much harder than my time working as a copywriter because it's exhausting I mean, I guess the difference is, is if I'm a chef, I can leave my chef stuff at work and I don't come home and worry about it. But maybe I do. Maybe I still do, still worry about it. It's just a long time since I did it. I, I just keep on coming back to this idea of passing, of like having to pass as, I don't know, a tech worker instead of your kind of real identity. Because there's this big thing in tech and getting diversity into tech. We call it a chicken and egg problem where people are like, oh, the reason I can't recruit you know, more of X minority is because they're not applying to the jobs. And if they don't apply to the jobs, I can't recruit them. And it's like this vicious cycle. But if people can't even see that those companies have hired people like them because the people like them are not being themselves, how do you ever solve that issue? It just almost compounds itself. Compound itself. It's, it's, it's hugely problematic. It's why we've had so many prime ministers that go to Eton and, you know, not very many prime ministers who grew up with with the single mum on on benefits. It's just not a thing. Um, and I think you know it's all well and good talking about this chicken and egg situation, but yeah, okay, it's a chicken and egg situation. I can't hire women because women don't apply for the jobs. Okay, cool. What are you doing to make it so that women can apply for the jobs? What are you doing to make your workplace inclusive? What are you doing to make it more welcoming? You know, let's let's look at. Um, class issues when it comes to to maybe a, sing, a single mum so I'm a single mum um I'm lucky in that my my ex-partner looks after my boy during the week which means I can do this like high flying powerful tech job I mean maybe I'm bigging myself up a bit too much there um but if I'm a single mum and I don't have that if I don't have a partner like what do I do I can't even I, there's no way to access these jobs there's no way to that accessibility is there um I think there's something really sad about like like you said about the notion of having to pass to to get these jobs um particularly given this this you know Blairite idea of meritocracy it just isn't true you have to work so much harder as a working class person to be offered the same opportunities as a middle class person and so all these people kind of identifying as working class who are actually middle class they do it because of that reason they do it because they want to 
seem like that meritocracy is something they've had to achieve. Whereas ultimately, middle class people have opportunities put in front of them in a way that I didn't. I don't know people in that. Like I randomly met Caroline on a freelancing website and that propelled my career to this middle class place that it is. If that hadn't have happened, I would still be pottering around. Yes, I'd be working in tech. Yes, I'd be doing digital copywriting, but I wouldn't be doing the same things that I'm doing now. I wouldn't be talking to all the entrepreneurs I'm doing now. Um, Yeah, and that's really sad because to me, I look at myself and I look at the fact that I have landed where I have landed because of luck. And I think how many other people that are like me are missing out you know we we talk about the digital skills gap there are going to be so you know thousands and thousands of people who are working class really smart really capable but who didn't meet Caroline who didn't get that opportunity put in front of them and because of that we 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 as a country are missing out on a huge swathe of talent and 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 economic potential and all this other stuff just because you know well that person can't put on a Harrogate accent and actually you know maybe doesn't say things in the way that their bosses in London would feel comfortable with because they've got a funny accent. So one of my final questions for you was going to be what advice would you give to a again in air quotes non-typical tech worker looking to get into the tech industry but it sounds like at the moment it's be lucky yeah and that's <laughs> awful isn't it I don't think that's just the case like you can do stuff so like one of the reasons I got this copywriting job was because I'd started a poetry magazine on WordPress and I had international readers because I was genuinely investing in a thing that I cared about and I could take that to the interview and I could go look here's this really cool thing that I've done so actually there is there can be opportunity but I guess that that opportunity comes from knowing yourself from just doing the things that you like doing and that you you want to do and showcasing that I think when we talk about getting into tech there is this idea of well you need to have learned this language for coding or you need to have, have achieved this or you need to have gone to this school actually for me the best the most interesting people in tech are the ones that just care about stuff. Like I care about tech. I talked about it earlier, but like I love Star Trek and I love science fiction. And so working in tech is something that just really excites and inspires me. Um, I talk about that quite a lot. Um, and I think that really helps because ultimately trying to get a job is just about caring about that job. I'm really lucky. I love my job. I think it's absolutely awesome. So just be very vocal about what it is that you care about. And if you care about tech and if you care about digital, because it is super exciting, it is, you know, the future, the, it, it's amazing. Just learn about it, read about it, write about it. And hopefully, if you're lucky, someone will pay attention to that. It's rubbish that that's the situation. But I like to think that, you know, we see social media um, and and. I just do people blog anymore? I don't even know. Um, but podcasting, that's what people do now, isn't it? I sound so behind the times. I'm just on a podcast. I don't really listen to them. But yeah, like if you care about this, start a podcast, talk about tech, just reach out to people, interview them and like find out what it is like and hopefully you'll manage it. I, I, I think there's a lot more the industry can do 
But I think also individuals do have agency in the situation as well. Obviously, the industry needs to do a lot more, though. But let's not take away working class people's agency, because that is most of the problem in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Gem. If people want to kind of find out a bit more about you, about your work and your poetry in particular, which I've read a fair bit of and is really good and I'm not just saying that it is really good where can we find more um so my work handle for twitter is um at tn underscore yorkshire my personal handle is at gem with a j underscore face not gem with a j written out j-e-m underscore face Uh, yeah um I post my poetry there I post a lot of political rants I talk about working class stuff yeah come find me Brilliant. And I'll include all of that in the show notes for anyone looking to find out more. But thank you so much. No worries, lovely. Thanks so much to listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. All of the links to things we've discussed or further information, if you want to find out more about Gem's work, that's all down in the show notes. Do check it out. Do click on those links if you want to find out more. Now, if you want to find out more about the podcast or kind of follow us in general, we are on all of the usual social platforms, mainly active on Twitter, I've got to say, at The Brave Listen on there. But you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. Now, if you've got any ideas for the podcast, or if you want to come on an episode you've got something you want to talk about please do reach out you can grab me on twitter at beth and vincent or shoot me an email on hello at bethandvincent.com and finally if you like this episode please do give it a like and or a review just helps me know people are enjoying what we're putting out there and also helps surface this podcast to more people in the search algorithms of the various podcast platforms more listeners is always amazing gets to spread the kind of message and what people are kind of working on out there further but finally thank you so much for listening and i will see you next time